I think that empathy and that belief that like things can get better and they will is something that I've gained because of having a disability. Hi, I'm Brooke Melhouse. Welcome to Disabled and Proud, the podcast that does exactly what it says on the tin. Each week, the show highlights an awesome disabled guest speaking about their own disability, why they're proud to be disabled, and why they're proud to be themselves. So, Chandy, welcome to Disabled and Proud. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for coming on. This will be a really fun chat. I mean, I say that about every single chat I have, but it's because all the ones I have are really good fun and I always learn something new. So I'm excited for this. Yeah, me too. (laughs) So if you listen to the podcast, you'll know that the first question that I ask absolutely every single guest is, how do you refer to your disability? Uh, Well, kind of depending on the audience. Like, mm-hmm. So if it's like friends and stuff, I'll joke around and I'll call it Timmy the Tumor. That's the main, that's what, that's, so I was at, at the student's bar when I was younger, when we were at university. Mm-hmm. And um, my friend was like, have you named your tumor? And I was like, no, because I didn't want to like give it meaning, give it purpose. Yeah. And so we named it there and then. I think we both had a bit of alcohol in our system. So we were like, <laughs> <laughs> Timmy, call him Timmy. Um, and then, so that was just before my last surgery. So like, I know my physical disability is kind of, it's unrelated, but it's linked because of where the tumour was that left me with a physical disability down my left side. So yeah. if I'm with mates, we'll call it Timmy and that'll be the issue, the problem. And then if mm-hmm. it's if it's family and stuff, that, or not, sorry, not family, Um, I'll, I'll just call myself, I'll just say I'm disabled and I've got a physical disability. Yeah. Very boring. But I don't think it is because I think it's such an important one, isn't it? Because there's always a lot of talk within the disabled community about how do you identify are you a person with a disability or are you a disabled person? And I think mm. that that conversation in itself is great, but it's also it can be quite reductive as well because everybody refers to their own disability completely differently. And like, yeah. you know, if you, you're just saying like, oh, I'm a person with a physical disability, like it's completely not like it's not boring. Like it's, like, it's how you identify and it's, and it's who you are. So I think it's so important to have that conversation like completely first off the bat so that, you know, if, you know, someone was to meet you who's listened to this podcast, they'd be like, Oh, I like, I know how to talk to you or I know how you'd like things to be referred to. And I think, isn't that a much better way of starting a conversation about disability, which can sometimes be quite awkward. Like we are all aware of how awkward it can be. We've all had the awkward comments and stuff. So I think it's actually a great way to explain. Mm. No, I I think it helps me as well. Like, I'm I can go from being really confident and able to talk about things to like sometimes like having days where like I just don't want to acknowledge it or I don't want to talk about it yeah. and so having those different levels of how I can talk about it is really helpful I think yeah and I yeah exactly what you just said some days that you're able to talk about it more than others and it's just like it is completely dependent on the day mm-hmm. and how you're feeling about it and I think that's also really important because there's a lot of people who are consistently like they fly highs and like they've got consistently high energy and they can talk about the disability all the time and it doesn't really matter. But then that's a really small section of the population. And so that again is so important what you just said about having different levels. And I love that as well, because I don't think people take that into account very often. And I think like I, I talk about my disability for a a living. That's what like, that's what my passion is, but, and I think people look at that and they say, like, you're doing really well and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm 
I feel confident on stage, but up at the up to the minute I've opened my mouth and I said the first word, I'm shaking inside and like all those anxious thoughts yeah. I, I have daily about self-worth and about everything else is still there. They don't go away suddenly. Yeah. I love that though, because it just it goes to show that, you know, you're a real human as well. Because I think quite often people are like, oh, people with disabilities, they're absolute heroes, or they're absolutely like down and out, and there's like no in between. Mm-hmm. But actually, like we are people as well, and like we go through the exact same experiences that other people go through. You know, you, you can feel anxious, you can feel upset, you can feel sad, you can feel happy, but sometimes they've actually got fuck all to do with your disability. <laughs> and I think like that's what I find like all the time when I meet people and stuff. Like I did a talk recently. And I can't remember a single word of what I said. Like, I remember, mm. like, five seconds here, five seconds there. And that's not yeah. because of, like, my memory problem, but that's just because I kind of, like, block out block out that moment because I just want to live in that moment. And up until I'm up on stage, I'm always so anxious because of my anxiety, like, about what could be and how things might pan out. That I just kind of, like, I zone out a little bit and yeah. try and live in that moment there. But the rest of the time my disabilities are kind of in control but I try and say it's not if that makes sense yeah it does and this actually really nicely leads on to my next question which is what was childhood like for you because I find like I've obviously done my research I know what I'm talking about but for you your disability is different in the sense that this has been an ongoing thing in your life and I'm just I want to hear you tell your story because I'm fumbling around my words right now but I think it's such an interesting story but also how you talk about it and how it's made you who you are is like a really beautiful story so I'm gonna shut the fuck up and I'm gonna let you do your thing (laughs) so yeah um when I was three um I was diagnosed with a I'm I'm really sorry you're gonna have to do the captions for this but it's a pilocytic acetoma so <laughs> I'm gonna get you to email me how to spell that <laughs> um and that's a benign brain tumor um mm. but because of the size of my head at the time and the skull being like developing still um or the brain sorry developing as well like um it crushed all the neurons to my left side mm-hmm. for my arm and my leg and that meant that Occasionally, I'd have like involuntary movements, or my hand and leg would start shaking, almost like having a fit or a seizure just in certain areas of the body. Yeah. Um, and I got bounced around from hospital to hospital. Eventually, ended up at Southampton General Hospital, which mm-hmm. have a really good like children's department and neuro- neurology area. And they did at the time as well, they were like one of the leading places to go to. So I was quite lucky in that I was sent there. Um, and they diagnosed me with my tumour. Mm-hmm. I had an operation and then had routine checkups every couple of months, um, as well as MRIs. And then three years later, when I was six, I was re-diagnosed. So my tumour had, they couldn't remove all of it because of where it is and how difficult mm-hmm. it is to know what's tumour, what's brain cells. And so I, I had to go back in for another operation. And during that, there was complications in the surgery. So I had to have part of my skull left out overnight um, to allow for the swelling to go down. And I woke up in intensive care. And because of that experience and being a six-year-old in a hospital with all these tubes 
surrounding you and like noisy machines and stuff. I developed OCD, which means I have intrusive thoughts, um, such as I've done something wrong or I've hurt someone you know, like without knowing or mm-hmm. I've said the wrong thing or I've done the wrong thing or I'm going to get sick or make someone else sick just by my actions. So I have to do compulsions, which are like washing my hands or asking for reassurance or kind of like doing things repeated numbers of times so in a certain yeah. pattern. Um, but if I don't, those intrusive thoughts just stick around or I can be minding my own business doing something else and I have an intrusive thought from something I've done five years ago that I've yeah. forgotten about until that moment. And then I'm worried if I don't do a certain thing or one of my compulsions and something bad's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, so like school was really hard and like primary school because I think when you're between the ages of like three and six, seven, you're still developing your sense of who you are yeah and I I always say that like I was trying like I started to understand who I was because like my family's from Africa and I really love like African culture and stuff like that mm-hmm. um and like that was a huge part of my life we moved from Africa to, to England and then this whole war happened so all my identity changed yeah and then I was being told by people this is what we expect you to do you're going to get this in your GCSEs. And as a six-year-old being told that you're not going to get a GCSE or you're not going to get to where other people are that you're in school with now or at the time, like that was really upsetting. Like, and I just remember feeling so low and also kids are worried they're going to get it from you or they're going to catch it. And so they won't like have friendships with you because they're scared. And so I had to really quickly develop, like develop that resilience of like, that's like, and it was hard. And I remember spending a lot of time in like the toilets or like hiding away from people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got the nickname Tumor Boy, which I always say that it sounds like an Avengers character that didn't quite make <laughs> the team. And at the time when I was told that by this um, girl, like I felt so rubbish and I felt like she didn't understand what I was going through and stuff. And it really hurt and it hurt a lot more I think then than it does now now I look back and I think yeah that was pretty rubbish but it's given me good material to talk about in talks and <laughs> <laughs> it's given me the ability to laugh and joke about it and and say yeah. and like I still have days where I wake up and I think about what they said and I think I am that person I am defined by my disability but there are other days where I wake up and I think, yeah, that might be someone's interpretation of me, but it's not my whole truth or my whole identity. And yeah. then I got bullied quite a lot through school, like on and off, um, ended up being homeschooled for a while and then went back to a, a, a public school that was really good. And they really supported me. So I ended up getting my GCSEs and um, some A-levels and then ended up going to university. But during my first year at uni, I started to have headaches and dizziness and like being really forgetful. So people who I'd mm-hmm. known for a couple of months now at the time, I would forget their names in, in the mid-conversation and I'd have to turn to them and say, what's their name? Like I remember having to do an activity where you had to write something positive about someone else in the room or every oh. single person in, in the room that you've been working with. And I turned to someone and I said, I said in my head, I was like, what's their name? And then I turned to my, my friend next to me, who I was like, what's their name? She looked at me like, where have you been? Like, yeah. who are you sort of thing? 
And I was trying to explain, like, I just can't remember. And like those little things that like, and I would trip over a lot more. So mm. my balance coordination isn't great anyway, but it was made even worse by what was going yeah. on health wise. And then people were like, you just need to stop going out as much or stop eating so many dominoes. And they, they were like, it's probably just your self care routine that you need to look at. And I, I was like, no, 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 I know something's wrong. I don't know what it is, but I don't feel great. And bear in mind, like, and this is my first time away from home. Like, yeah. I had a really shelter, as you can imagine, being a disabled young person, like, with parents that want to look after you, make sure you're safe. Um, I hadn't really been away from home on my own for a long that much, apart mm-hmm. from a few days here and there. And I was now on my own. So I was going out eating dominoes pretty much every other night because I can't cook. <laughs> And standard uni life like your first year of uni where you're in an absolute state <laughs> and I was going out every other night like I was just trying to make friends and like mm-hmm. I would I would go to the students union during the middle of the day buy two pizzas and then just give them out for, 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 to people just because I was like wanted to make friends so yeah. like my diet wasn't good and all my health my self-care wasn't the best but like I just wanted to experience being around other people and being liked for, for being yeah. myself. And then, like, I was like, no, something's wrong. And, like, I know I'm not looking after myself the best, mm-hmm. but this is something more than just what's a going on. A couple of pizzas a night, yeah. yeah. Yeah, And then um, I had to go back in for an MRI after speaking to my GP. And I ended up being diagnosed, like, a couple of weeks after my birthday. And then... I failed my first year because I had to submit some reassignments during the time I was in hospital. And of course, as you can imagine, trying to write an essay when you just had brain surgery. It's not going to be the one. (laughs) That's a bad idea. (laughs) And I don't know why I thought it was a good idea to not ask for an extension or whatever. But I think it it helped because I then went back and said, let me redo the whole of my first year. Mm -hmm. Like, I'll take out more student finance. I'll... I'll do what I have to do to do this. And someone said that I was going to fail with or without support. So I was like, right, this is my fuel now to just go, you know what? I'm going to do my best. Even if I fail my degree, I've got the experience. I've tried my best. Yeah. And I remember going in as an 18 year old thinking, it's going to be a walk in the park. I'm going to get a first class dissertation here. Like, don't nothing gonna hold me back. And then I and at the end of my second first year, I was like a pass is a pass. Like as yeah. long as I get that forty percent. Like I think at that point I'd failed an essay five times in both my first and first year and my, my second first year. That's really confusing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was just like, I just need to pass it. Yeah. And people wouldn't understand like why I was getting so upset when I would fail or when I was struggling. Mm-hmm. And it was because I think I was offered all the support in my first year because of my disability and the DSA stuff that you get when you go to university if you're yeah. eligible for it. And in my when I went to redo the first year, I just turned it all down. Like I stopped going to the support sessions. I, I was like, thank you. I know you're there, but I don't need, like I've been told that I'm going to fail. So what's the point? And yeah. I, I internalised it a lot more and I was just doing my best where I could. And I still remember the moment when I got like a 60 for this essay from this tutor who said I was going to fail. Because I was like, that was the, the the sweetest moment where I was like, I've actually achieved something here. Like they said I'm going to fail and I'm 
doing my best and I've got yeah. way more than I thought I would. And then, yeah, so then I graduated and then in 2017? Mm-hmm. No. 2017, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense? No. Yeah. Isn't it awful trying to think back to when you graduated? Because I also graduated in 2017 and I think it was like last year and it's not. <laughs> yeah. We had to do placements in our third year um, and the group of people I was working with put a picture up the other day. It was like six years ago and I was like, are you joking? Like, it's horrible, isn't it? <laughs> and I was like, thanks for that reminder, I'm getting old. And then like, <laughs> it was just, I think when I graduated, like, I was like, this is my moment. Like, I'm going to get a job. I'm going to have family. I'm going to do all these things that, like, when you're a kid in hospital, you tell yourself you're never going to have. Like, I never thought I'd be able to own a home because of my disability because, like, I'm not going to get a job. So then, and all these, like, assumptions that had been made about me, like, Mm -hmm. I was believing in my truth and believing that, like, that was who I was going to be. Yeah. And then I'd finally got to that stage where I had a degree now. And I was just like, I just, part of me wanted to give up, but also part of me was like, no, I just keep going, keep doing this. And then I couldn't get a job anywhere. Like no one would employ me because I didn't drive. And because okay. I did my degree in social work, it's a requirement of the job mm-hmm. in a lot of local authorities. And so even though they shouldn't discriminate and reasonable, reasonable adjustments should be made, like they were just saying like, we can't employ you. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up, working for like charities and doing voluntary work and stuff and building my experience up. And then I reached out to a university and they gave me the opportunity to go and speak for like half an hour at the end of a lecture. And then that turned into giving a three hour lecture. And now I go back like every semester to do lectures on disability rights and advocacy. And because of like that, I now go and talk at Cambridge university, their medical school um, and educate students on how, yeah, I'm disabled. Yeah, I have a physical disability and mental health problems, but that's not all of who I am. And like, yeah, I think the medical model says that I need to be fixed to be like other people. But yeah. like I always say, like a big part of my social work training was the social model of disability mm-hmm. and like looking at individuals and saying, how can society support you and work yeah. with you to make you feel like your lived experience matters? And yes, you might not be able to do everything that everyone else can do without support, but with the right support, you can achieve anything. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so that's where I'm at now. And I've just finished my master's here. I love what you have said about how when you were younger, you believed what people said about you. Because I think as a disabled child, you are told so much about yourself. You're told what you can and can't do. You're told what, you know your trajectory looks like these are all things that you are told and I can assume a lot more than like the average non-disabled child because I'm pretty sure no other non-disabled child gets told like oh you might not be able to do this or you might not be able to do that because of x y and z and because you have this complication that means that this part of your life is going to be a bit more tricky and I think what you've said is so important is that actually you did believe what people said about you and and you took that on, but actually, as you got older and arguably wiser, I mean, 
do we all get wiser as we get older? I don't know the answer to that question, but <laughs> you've realized that actually what people have said about you isn't true and that's not who you are. And I think that's a really big takeaway for a lot of disabled children is to not always believe people who are or so-called experts say about you because it's not always true. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes it is true. Like, you know, I will never be able to clap my hands. I I will literally never be able to clap my hands, but I can still clap. And so there's a big takeaway in that is that, yes, people will tell you about yourself when you're disabled. That's something that they love to do. Yeah. But whether or not you believe it is on you. And it's about you building up the strength and having, you know, knowing yourself and having that strength to be like, actually, I'm going to challenge that. And and that's not who I am. And that's yeah. not what I want. I think like there's always been people in my life like, yeah, they've been the ones who've said negative stuff like at school, like mm-hmm. peers and stuff and teachers. And I think that's through lack of awareness and understanding. Yeah. And at the time, like this was in the early 2000s. So like we've come a long way since then. Like I was born yeah. the year that, Disability Discrimination Act was established. Like, so that was only what, 28 years ago now? So, like, mm-hmm. it's not a long time. Um, and, like, I still had friends that were really supportive. Like, I've got a close friend who we don't speak every day now, but he was always there. Like, and he still is now. Like, I know that if I have a problem, I can go to him and say, Look, mate, can we have a chat? And yeah. he can make time for me. Um, and, like, when I was at uni, like, someone who worked at the student union, he became like a big brother and like he would mm. come to the hospital and like he spend time with my mum and sister while I was in the operating theatre. And like there was other people who would message me constantly like asking if I was okay, how's my recovery going and stuff. And those people who show an interest and want to learn and want yeah. to like understand like what it means for me to be disabled. And like I don't speak for every disabled person, but when I do my talks and stuff, I always say like, this is what's happened to me and I know it's the reality for a lot of other people whether they've had the same things or something different and I think like when you're growing up like it's not even the things that people say that make you believe that you're not good enough as a disabled person like when you see all your friends getting their first dates or going on mm-hmm. on like their first holiday as a couple together or having like all these like romantic relationships and you're there like yeah cool like when am I going to find my soulmate sort of thing and like I think like people find it hard like to have conversations like I still struggle when I'm talking to someone like to say I am disabled like because mm-hmm. when that's happened in the past I've said to someone I had a brain tumor you get ghosted or like those things so it's those mm-hmm. like non-verbal things that you see like in the media as well like how disabled people are viewed as like I have a scar on my head yeah and like growing up the only person I had to look to was Harry Potter and like, don't get me wrong, I would love yeah. dressing up as Harry Potter and going around the garden, <laughs> casting spells. Um, but like, I can't do that forever. And I can't like, I would often when I was a kid, like, I'd love drama because I'd love to be able to pretend it wasn't me, pretend mm-hmm. I wasn't in that situation. And yeah, I still had to act with a physical disability, but for a moment I was someone else. And I would yeah. want to remove myself from that situation. But I think like now I'm just, I'm a lot prouder of my disability. Mm-hmm. I think I experienced a hate crime last year and it really had an impact on my social anxiety. And like, I still have days where I just want to stay inside the whole day. Yeah. But I think I love myself and my disability a lot more now. 
And it is a journey. This mm. is not something like that, that happens overnight. And I think a lot of people almost need to take that piece of advice is that like learning to be happy and comfortable in your disability is a journey. And that is comes from people who are born disabled or people who acquire their disability, like regardless of who you are, learning to accept your disability in the first is a massive achievement. It's a journey. But then going from accepting your disability to then loving who you are as a disabled person, again, mm it's a journey it's it's and it's continuous it's not like i've got to the destination and i'm here it's something that's consistently moving the goalposts are consistently moving with you know accepting your disability and and loving who you are as a disabled person because society is always changing so mm. you might think one day you've, you've nailed it and you're like yeah today is a day like i'm i love my disability and then you wake up the next day and you're like i don't feel as good as i felt yesterday yeah and and it's 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 a journey like it's it has its ups, it has its downs. Like you know, the, that's like a rule of physics or a law of science or something that says that everything that goes up must come down. Like I'm pretty yeah. sure that's the thing. So it's, think, it is a journey. I think like when I was a kid and like I would always compare myself to other people, and I still like I do that every day. Like I still compare myself to other people. Like when I see like they're off on holiday and I'm sat doing work at home, like you compare yourself daily. But I think when you're disabled, like you do it a lot more like unintentionally or without the want to do it. Like it's just an inbuilt feature of who you are. Like I find for me personally, like, and I think like the biggest example I can give is like when I was a, when I was a kid, I wouldn't want to date anyone because I was scared that they would feel like my carer or like mm-hmm. when I was old and we were a couple where, or like getting married or whatever. If I got sick and I was like really unwell or like I lost more of my mobility, like they would have to take care of me at some point. Like whether yeah. it was helping me get from a bed to a chair or like going to the toilet and these things that you don't think about unless you're like, you really have to like, you give it the, in, the intentional thought mm-hmm. and the time. And I think like, as I've got older, like, especially over the last year with like, I've had a lot of time to self-reflect, like after the hate crime stuff that happened and like actually realize that like, if someone loves you enough to want to be with you, like it wouldn't matter whether you're like disabled or not, like, they love you for who you are like yeah and it sounds really cheesy but like i think like self-love is so important and like i don't get it wrong don't get it right all the time but like i'm just learning to love myself a lot more now that i'm older and like not wiser but like aware of like and reflective Mm -hmm. but i love that as well because that in itself is a journey like self-love again is a journey like regardless of whether you're disabled or not like i don't give a I've really got to stop swearing on this podcast so much. I just realised how like filthy my mouth is. <laughs> like, I don't care who you are, but self-love is a journey for everybody, like regardless of whether you're disabled or not. And if you say, like, you know, you show me someone who loves themselves and like, that is incredible and amazing. Like, you know, I'm very happy to say that I love myself. I think I'm great. I also think I'm the best company ever. But there are days where I wake up and I'm like, ah, oh, you know, I love myself 70% today. It's not 100%. And that is normal. It is not normal to be consistently 100%. I love myself all the time, all the time, all the time. Because we all have moments of doubt. We do. I don't care who you are. Unless you're like, what's his name? Tony Robbins. That's who I'm talking about. Unless you are him and you're like banging your chest, being like, oh, I love myself. I love myself. I love myself every single morning like to wake up that self-love is not always going to be that. And it's something that you've got to 
what's the word I'm looking for? It's like grow, but it's not. Curate. Thank you, brain, on it. You've got to curate your own self, self-love. And mm. that comes also with age. I'm, I'm like, I'm pretty sure about that. Like, I'm pretty sure you probably love yourself a lot more the older you get because you can appreciate yourself and you can appreciate what you've done. And particularly for disabled people, I think when you look back and you see what you've done and, and like, you know, really minimal stuff, like I was able to do this by myself. Amazing. I love myself for that. Or today I was able to do this. And I never thought that I would be able to do it in a million years. Again, like incredible. How could you not love yourself for doing that? And I think mm. it is it is a journey and we meander through it. It's not a straight line it, and it's really not. And I love that, especially what you said is it, you've really taken us on, on your journey with you. And I think that that's so important because not everybody has that journey and mm. not everybody will understand it. And I'm so thankful that you shared this story because it's not been an easy one to tell. And I really appreciate you like talking about it because it, you know, things are hard. Sometimes it's hard. And I think like having a disability, like it's given me some of the worst moments of my life, but also some of the best. Like I wouldn't yeah. be able to meet the people I, I get to meet and do the things I get to do, like mm. because of my disability. And like there's things that wind me up. Like I would love to be able to swim, but I don't know if it's the anxiety of feeling like I'm going to drown or the fact that like mm-hmm. I've always compared myself to like Nemo because my left arm <laughs> just doesn't work. But like I always just imagine like myself going around in circles because my right side will do really well. Or like I'll just like float half of my body up above the water and half below. Like the left arm will just be sinking <laughs> underneath. Yeah. Um, and, like those things that annoy me and like riding a bike is really hard for me. Like I can do it, but my balance isn't great and I hate riding a bike. I think it's the worst (laughs) invention ever. I suck at it. I hate it. I think it's awful. Why would you want to be on two wheels if you could be on four, which is a car, because it makes sense. Like, I'm with you. I I hate bikes. (laughs) But, like, there's other things that, like, I was told that I'd never run a marathon or do, like, any kind Mm -hmm. of sport when I was younger. And, like, I remember doing, like, at primary school, you have to do, like, weird activities, like a skipping race. Like, mm-hmm. I understand skipping, but why would you want to skip and run at the same time? No. And, like, I remember having a TA who would, like, come with me to PE lessons to make sure I was okay and, like, safe. And they would take me aside in the lead up to, the, the like, the sports day. And, like, we spent a whole week training myself to skip and run at the same time. Because my left arm would just stay static because mm-hmm. it doesn't want to move. But my right yeah. arm has the flexibility. So I'm there, like doing this with my like arm. having a wiggle yeah <laughs> I looked so stupid looking back like I can still remember myself coming last like everyone had finished and I was still going like two minutes later and everyone would cheer me on and stuff and like, those sports day moments where like you really realize that like everyone actually does care deep down mm-hmm. it just takes a bit of awareness and a bit of like having a conversation on both sides like understanding like as a disabled person like understanding that my experience is different to everyone else mm-hmm. but equally their experience is different to mine and like having that common understanding and that open com- communication because I think I heard a quote a few years ago where like it says we, at the moment we communicate to, to reply like if I message yeah. someone and they don't respond I feel like I've done something wrong or I've said the wrong thing but we need to communicate to understand yeah and I can't remember who said it but like that has really like played a pivotal part of my life like 
I remember being told that like I was stupid by a family member when I was younger quite a lot. And I believed that I believed that I was stupid and like I couldn't do, do these yeah. things. Um, and I believed like, I, I set the assumption for myself because of what other people said. Like I limited what I could do. And then when I had my last surgery, my friend was like, right, we're going to do the London Marathon next year. Like whether you like it or not. And so we would train like every other day, like for this marathon. And he was doing really well. And like, he was running like a mile and like 10 minutes. Like he was doing really well. I would finish a mile in 20, 25 minutes. And then yeah. on the day of the marathon, like because of the energy of the crowd and like everyone is there to support you, like mm-hmm. they don't judge you. They're just there to cheer you on. Like I was doing like nine minute miles for the first Amazing. half of the marathon. And my body was exhausted by halfway. So like I did, I did finished it in like six hours in the end. But mm-hmm. like it reminded me like life, as cheesy as it sounds, like life is a marathon and it's not a sprint. You just I was literally just about to say it's a marathon, not a sprint. <laughs> like, you just got to do your own thing. And like, I've recently like started like dancing on TikTok and stuff. And like, I came out to a talk of they're doing footloose dancing. And like my left <laughs> leg was just there dragging itself along. And my right leg was doing all the work. But everyone was clapping and like cheering and they were getting involved. And I was just like, it's okay to look like an idiot sometimes. But like they weren't laughing at me because I was disabled. They were laughing. Because it was funny and it was yeah. good entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love that though, because I think again, that's a whole it's a whole journey again, isn't it? And also like, well done for doing the London Marathon. I've I've watched multiple people really struggle in that marathon. I went to support a friend like this year and then a couple of years ago as well, same friend was doing it. And I was like, do you know what? I just I I don't have any desire to to run that. I was stood at like mile 21, which is where everybody thinks that it's it's they're about to die, mm. right? Like factually, that's when you think it's over for you. And the amount of people that ran past with just pure pain on their faces, I was like, oh, I could, I could, I can't ever do that. So many people looked so upset. I <laughs> so remember, like, well done you. I remember the first time I did it, feeling like like I was so buzzing about it. And I was like, I'm gonna not do it again though. It's, I, one is enough. And then yeah. I did it again a few years later. And I remember having like a swollen knee because I've got arthritis as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and my right leg was swollen. My left leg was just weak anyway. So I was basically setting myself up to fail. And rather than being able to run any of it, I like walked most of it this time. And I was an hour slower. But I remember getting to like embankment and the charity that I was running for, they crossed, the, they were packing up their their banner and, Mm-hmm. going to the like end the event at the end of the, the the run and they saw me and how much pain I was in and I'd literally just seen like the St. John's, St. John's ambulance person and they mm-hmm. were like you need to stop like you look like you're in pain let's just stop it here I'm like no no I still got two like this was like six hours and mm-hmm. I was like no, no it was simply an hour to finish I've got two hours to get to the end to get the middle like I'm just gonna do this yeah so I like denied any medical care and just kept on going and so when I saw them at Embankment and I was like, I'm so glad I've seen you guys before I finish. And they could see how much pain I was in and they jumped the barrier and walked it with me to make sure I finished. I love and that. And I think that that for me, like, and they were like holding my arms up and making sure I wouldn't fall over. And they were like, that that community feel is like, feel like, feels like a bit like a metaphor for my life. Like there's been those moments where I wanted to give up, but that no one's made 
made it so I feel like I can't keep going mm-hmm. if I want to. Yeah. And that's beautiful, really. It's a there is support out there if you like, if you reach out for it. Mm. And that's, you know, don't get me wrong. I need to say this because I need to say that obviously the mental health system in the UK is for want of a better word, it's fucked. But there is support out there, whether it be friends or family or your community or like I'm not talking about helpers and like professionals. I'm talking about the people around you, the community that you surround yourself with. Is that that's so important because they can lift you up in the moments where you are ready to 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 give up because that you everybody has that moment. They think, oh no, like what am I doing? Am I doing the right thing? What's going on? And I think you're right. I think people with disability think about that a lot more than people who don't because you know you're you're like you said you're consistently told when you're younger you you can do this you can't do that you can do this so there is always that like there's self-doubt for everybody but I think self-doubt runs a bit deeper for people with disabilities because of a what we've been told when we were younger but also I think a lot of it as well is down to representation because we've never seen ourselves in the media doing things we've never Mm -hmm. seen ourselves in books we've not been in TV, we've not been in music, we've not been authors, we've not we've not been anywhere. So mm. the idea that we can do this, these like different types of things is actually very new to, to the disabled community. And that's all down to representation. So no wonder that self-doubt is a, runs a little bit deeper for us because I think we don't have loads of people to look up to who have done what we want to do. And if and if you do then there's not loads of people, you know, it's like, it's one trajectory. So I think, I think it's amazing that actually what you say, you know, your community do lift you up and they support you and and they take you with them, which is like gorgeous, really. Yeah. And I think like, I was so intent when I was younger, fixing myself and making myself better to make other people like me. Like my left hand used to curve in on itself. So it would look a bit like, a bit like that, like a fist, like, yeah. And it'd be really painful. And they were like, we can do plastic surgery and like make your hand look nicer by like fusing the 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 bone to the to the to your wrist to your then so like basically it's like one long arm and then my fingers yeah. move independently. Um and I remember coming out of the surgery and seeing the scar on my hand and thinking, there's a piece of metal holding my arm straight and making it look nicer. And it's uncomfortable because I can't bend my wrist and I can't it doesn't mm. function like an arm yeah um or like the arm I used to have but like at least no one would judge me and I was like that was my belief that like I had to look like other people to be accepted whereas now I'm just like cool no. <laughs> <laughs> and it's I think- really interesting though that you had that because obviously like talking about hands obviously like close to home I don't have one but it's interesting that you say that because I always hated it and I speak about this quite a lot I've always hated the idea of a prosthetic like I'd stop wearing them when I was really little because because they were so like unattractive and they were heavy and they were cumbersome and it and then for me it was just so that people would feel like okay like they wouldn't feel awkward around me yeah and, and I hated that idea that actually that like, I had to wear something false for people to to like me or, or to fit in or or anything that so it's, it's again like it's interesting that we have different experiences of this and I think that's what this is all about isn't it is that not every disabled person is the same Mm. and I think I used to have splints on my leg and on my hand like the one on my foot would be like a a plastic so like they'd mold your foot and then they'd build you and I remember like having to get one a new one every year or two 
and I, I would hate them because I would they'd be chunky. I couldn't bend my foot, and it was so annoying. And the one in my hand was just to make sure my thumb didn't slip into my fingers, like into a fist shape. Yeah. So it would it would be more for comfort, but people would see them and they they would judge you based on the fact you had these things and you looked a bit weird, and that would annoy me so much and I would stop wearing them or I wouldn't wear them properly or I'd hide them and stuff and I think like looking back I'm glad I had the surgery because I'm not in as much pain but Mm -hmm. I think I wasn't driven by the pain side of things I was driven by acceptance yeah yeah interesting because this leads on so nicely oh my god this is (laughs) seamless oh so good what is or do you have a piece of advice for a younger version of yourself? I think like my my one of my, my close friends who I met at uni, um, like he the one who's become like a big brother to me, and like mm-hmm. um he just said to me, like, do you? Like those two words, just do you like at the time I was like, I am doing me, but like I don't think I was truly because I was trying to make people at university like me or I was always trying to be someone else and I think it's only since I've left uni and like I've spent away from time away from these people because I came back home to where I live in Dorset and I live I went to uni um along the south coast so like it wasn't like I could stay at home and go to uni every day it was like I took a step back from that that environment and I don't see these people every day but like those two words have stuck with me quite a lot and like I don't always get it right some days I do just pretend to I change my views to try and like fit in with other people like if I don't like it something I'll, say, I'll still go just to be, to be liked and mm-hmm. to say like oh, I'm having a good time but I'm not like going on a night out like yeah I like it but by 10 o'clock I'm tired my legs are sore yeah. I'm exhausted partly because of all the dancing but partly because of my, that's, my fatigue has kicked in yeah and like I would push myself to stay out as much as I could when I was at uni like just to be liked and then when everyone was finishing uni and going home like they would make plans without me and like I'd be like where's my invite like it just felt like I was there I hate the like they were trying to be nice to me like if I like and then when everyone uni was over like it was like I didn't exist or like mm-hmm. they found me annoying like I get everyone can be annoying at times but I don't do it to be intentional like if I am like if my OCD kicks in and stuff like that's not me wanting to because I would love to hide my OCD from everyone if I could but there's mm-hmm. sometimes where it comes out where, like I have to go and wash my hands a lot or like I ask someone for reassurance and I repeat things mm-hmm. and they'll find that annoying and I'm like I'm not doing it because I want to annoy you like I've yeah it's exhausting hiding it and masking it from people sometimes um mm-hmm. and so like now I've just I try not to hide my OCD as much, but obviously like it's hard, like when I'm so yeah. busy and I'm doing talks and stuff. Um, but I found a really good community around me where like now if I go to an event, like a networking event with them and they can see I'm struggling, they'll just give me space. Mm-hmm. And like that really helps and makes me feel like I'm not a burden. Yeah. And, so and I, I think I- that's important, isn't it? Is to surround yourself with people who make you feel like you're not a burden because you're not, you're not a burden. Mm. And that's like, take it from me. You are not a burden at all. Everybody has something in this life. It doesn't matter who you are disabled or not. Everybody has something. And all of our 
access needs are completely different. And so having a group of people around you who make you feel like you're not a burden is as a disabled person, one of the most important things that you can do and having that community and having those friendships and, and just having that group of solid humans around you is imperative. And I love what you've said as well about do you, because media and society loves to portray that we should all be doing this one thing or like, you know, there's a hustle culture on TikTok and we should all be doing this or like, I'm going to get up at 5am and like read a shit ton of books and then I'm going to have my green smoothie and then I'm going to go to work. And that, that idea and is so unrealistic in terms of what society pushes because we are all so different and like, you know, disability also falls into that. We are so different. All of us also individual that we shouldn't be pushing for what society says we should because actually like society's bollocks. <laughs> yeah. I think like the, 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 the friends that I had at uni, they were great at times, but there were other times where like, I could tell that they would, they would forget about my disability. I'm not asking people to just use my, just like, I don't want to like a, the disability card sort of vibe, like, like yeah. feel, feel pity for me or something because of my disability. But like, when they will get in jobs and stuff and like there's banter and then they're sending a picture that they've photoshopped of you outside the job center on the floor. And that's not okay. When I saw that, I was just like, we've been friends for three years. Like I've tried my best to look out for you and be there for you. Like what's going on? Like, why Mm -hmm. do you think this is cool? And like, I just remember feeling so low and so like, how could someone be your friend or t- pretend to be your friend and then do that? Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I think like those ideas of like when you don't fit in with the norm, like people do judge you. Like I remember the same group of people, like they would always joke about the fact that I was still single at uni, like the whole way through uni. I would, I'd went on a couple of dates, but I'm very awkward because uh, when you're growing up, you, you, you don't have many relationships and stuff like you don't have to date. Mm-hmm. And, um, they were like, oh, we're going to sign you up for first dates. And I was just like, great, thanks for this. So they were doing the application. And then I had a phone call with them for the the company, that the production company. Yeah. And they were going through all these questions like, tell us about yourself, like what type of person do you go for and all this stuff. And afterwards, I was just like, do I really want to do this? Who am I doing it for? Yeah. And do I, because they were like, we come into an audition. You had to audition as well. That was the other thing. Like, it's addition to go on the show like when I was <laughs> and I was like do I really want to do this I'm like I'm really busy on the weekend sorry I can't make it so like I was just like yeah I think I needed to just be alone like you need to understand myself like I was so busy trying to be like other people and look for that relationship and don't get me wrong like I'd love to find my soulmate or find the person I'm going to spend the rest of my life with but I want it to be on my terms I want it to be yeah at the right moment and I do get like that self-worth of like, am I good enough? Like comes in there sometimes. And like, if I get ghosted on a on a dating app, like I do like, I think, is it because of my disability? Is it because of something I said? But mm-hmm. also I'm like, they're not the right person. No, exactly. And, and I think that's really important as well, is that the right person won't ghost you. That's just <laughs> how it is. Like, <laughs> Also, if they've like, you know, if someone ghosts you, like they've taken the trash out. Mm-hmm leave them to it like bye <laughs> and I think that's the same with friends like going back to those people who like photoshop that picture 
mm-hmm. I just like I left the the group chats and stuff, and I haven't really spoken to them since. But that's because I'm like I don't need that toxic energy in my life. Like that energy was yeah. obviously there the whole time. I just didn't see it, and I'm glad it came out because I don't need them in my life. Yeah, that's so true. This though rolls into something really nicely is. Do you have a positive trait or have you noticed a positive trait about yourself that actually upon reflection you're really proud of? I think being disabled and having a brain tumour has made my like empathy really strong. Mm-hmm. Like it's not yeah. the best it could be like, but like I think it's one of my best skills and st- like qualities is that I'm always like, worried about other people's thoughts anyway because of my OCD but like making sure that they're heard and they're valued and stuff and like yeah we've just done a a strengths finders test for a charity I've been working with so like we can see what our strengths are and one of mine was belief and like at the moment like with everything going wrong in the world and stuff it just like finding that belief is really hard but mm-hmm. like and there are days where I'm like I read it I was like why how I don't think I'm that much like I don't think that my belief is that strong because there are days where, like, recently I've just not wanted to get out of bed. Yeah. But, like, I think that empathy and that belief that, like, things can get better and they will is something that I've I've gained because of having a disability. And I love that because I think empathy, I think you're right, I think disabled people are naturally more empathetic because we all realise that we go through different things we go through different struggles that's that's just our daily reality that's you know I'm not fluffing that up for everyone so I do I completely agree with you but I love that so much that your belief is is something that you're really proud of because I think we all need a bit more of that I think we all need to like whether it's we believe in ourselves or we believe that something's going to get better I'm a big believer in like what you think tends to happen and so that's and I, I love that I'm like for me, that's like a little like bit of magic. <laughs> yeah, I think it was it was interesting to read because I don't think that that's a very strong characteristic. But I think like I've been thinking about the last couple of days, like, and I think like in those moments where it's been really bad and really dark, like I have used that belief to kind of get through things, yeah. whether it's intentional or whether it's just working its way through the background, like reminding me every step, like it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah I think that that's so so true isn't it and particularly as a disabled person like we do have to have that belief that things are going to get better because there are so many things that we face daily monthly weekly medically mm. socially that if we didn't believe they were going to get better we'd probably just sit and cry <laughs> yeah definitely and I think like I remember having my last surgery and and lying in, in the bed and like there was like a really big window on the side and it was like blue sky outside. And I was just like, I spent my life like pretending to be like, or like pretending to change who I was to try and be liked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was, I made a promise to like just do things for me a bit more, whether it was every day or just every now and then. And then like at the end of my second first year, I went on holiday on my own, like for the first time ever. Like I went to Barcelona for four days and then Amsterdam for four days. Mm-hmm. And I had no plans. I just turned up. I had a not, I booked like a really like fancy hotel. And so I had like barely any money and I was just exploring the city and like doing these cool things and like going down to the beach for a walk and in Barcelona and these things that I would never have thought I could do because of my OCD. And that was because I had this 
assumption that like I should just do what I'm told and like be who I need to be because of other people's assumptions. Yeah. And I was finally like, living my life a little bit. And like, I feel like because of COVID and stuff, like those are my big triggers, like a global pandemic. Mm-hmm. So for that yeah. to happen, like it set me back a little bit. But like all these things that I'm like, every now and then I do like a little self-care thing, like doing this for me, like whether that's going to Nando's for lunch or whatever. And like just treating myself every now and then. I think those, those are important moments to have. Yeah. So I love this question that I get to ask people because it comes, I can get some real array of answers, but with, with being disabled people, we get weird questions. Sometimes it's daily, sometimes it's weekly, sometimes it's monthly, just depends on who you are. And I was wondering, is there like a set of specific, that's a fucking ocean, specific (laughs) answers? (laughs) are there some weird questions that you get regularly that's what I'm trying to say <laughs> I think like I'm very careful with who I spend my time with now mm-hmm. like so recently like I haven't but like I guess like the ones at school were like in primary school was can you catch it like if I touch you like okay like, like you know like when there's that the cooties like when you like when you're <laughs> yeah. a kid like they were worried they'd catch a tumour. I think that's where mm-hmm. the nickname Tumor Boy came about. And then, like, it's not so much comments when I was growing up. It was, like, the mimicking of my walk or, like, yeah. the, like pretend to... Because I walk a bit like Happy Feet, like, humble <laughs> from Happy Feet. But I keep referring to, like, Disney characters and, like, Pixar characters, but, like, it's the best way to describe it. Like, my left foot feels a bit like a, a thudding tree, like, when I'm tired. Mm-hmm. And my my left my right foot is very like elegant and like very like like a ballerina poised <laughs> yeah and so like people would like mimic my walk or like they like the gestures and stuff that would come with it especially on like nights out when like mm-hmm. you go to like into a, a sport lot like, of sports lads out not to stereotype but like those like those ones that want to like be the best of their their group and like show yeah. off in front of their friends um, and I think. Yeah, so not so much comments and stuff, um, but which I think I've been that's quite lucky in a way. Yeah, it's interesting though because there's such a difference when I ask that question between men and women because women seem to get a flood an array of bizarre questions, whereas guys just generally Mm. don't tend to. And I'm like, that's interesting. Like, I wonder why that is and why society like that. So. Thanks for answering because it's also just like put like knowledge in my brain where I'm like, I want to explore that further. <laughs> just thinking about it, I think like one of the things that annoys me, or not, I don't know if it annoys me, but like because of my OCD, when I say I have OCD, they're like, oh, I have OCD too. Yeah, and they don't. And I have to explain a little bit, like not in a patronizing way or like a rude way, but like I say, like, oh, how does, like, I ask them about their OCD. I say, well, mine does this. And like you see the cogs turning, they're like, oh, okay, like maybe I'd. Maybe I don't. Yeah, or like the idea of what OCD is that's been mm-hmm. portrayed in the media is very different to like when I was diagnosed, like we didn't understand it because it was what? How old am I now? 28 today. So like. Oh my God, is it your birthday today? Yeah. Happy birthday. Oh my God. Why the fuck are you on this podcast? Because <laughs> I don't celebrate my birthday very much. Um, oh my God, happy birthday. Thank you. So it would have been 22 years ago. Like, so we didn't understand it and it wasn't like on the media as much. Mm-hmm. Um, so like we were learning to understand it as well at the same time. 
And um, I think people still have the idea of what it's like from TV shows, from like those Keening shows where people go in and say like, oh, they've got OCD and stuff. Yeah. And like those, the people who have OCD in these shows, like it's a lot more complex than what the, the show portrays. Like mm, I'm sure yeah. they have reasons why they're very clean or what, because they have these intrusive thoughts. It's mm-hmm. not just they're very clean or they like things in a certain way. It's why are they doing that that compulsion that yeah. I think we often forget about. Mm-hmm. I only have one final question for you. Yeah. And that is, are you disabled and proud? Yes. Yay! <laughs> I really want to thank you today for coming on the podcast because I think talking to you and understanding you and your disability and your journey is so important for not just me, but like for everybody who listens to this because it is such a journey. And that's that's what you've spoken about today is the journey that you've gone on to essentially accepting your disability. And I think isn't that amazing that we can hear about it firsthand, but also you're wise enough to be like, do you know what? Like it is a journey and there are some pitfalls. And and I was, you know, sometimes pretending to do something just to fit in, but actually that's not who I am. And, and I know it's not an easy story to tell either. And so I really want to thank you for giving up your time, especially on your birthday. So happy birthday to you. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Oh, me too. It's been so fun. <laughs> thank you yeah thank you right thanks for listening to this episode of disabled and proud if you've enjoyed the show then please give it some love by leaving us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts it really helps us to reach more and more people each week plus if you've got a particular highlight then i'd absolutely love to hear it tag me on your insta stories at disabled and proud podcast